Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? On this episode of the podcast, we do not have a guest. It's just Nick and me coming at you. And so what we're going to talk about today, uh, we try not to talk too much about current events just because we want these podcasts to be to be timeless and not just... Like share. <laughs> not totally <laughs> relevant where it becomes unrelevant a week later. Um, but right now we're going on, what, three or four weeks of Black Lives Matter protests I think we yeah 24 26 straight days or something of protests here in portland and frankly they kind of show no sign of stopping so that's figured it's it's meritorious of us discussing it on the podcast yeah and it's it's something that needs to be addressed also <clears throat> so nick and i being very white men are gonna go and talk about black lives matter and the the, the the po- protests that are going on, and it it should be it should be mentioned, dear listeners, that we we are well aware of the fact that we are two white guys. Uh, we did reach out to people of color to to try to get some other point of view here on this right. episode. Uh, we got left on red, and this is you know everybody's everywhere. It's crazy time, middle of pandemic, whatever. Uh, we didn't want to let the fact that we couldn't nail somebody down to come on the show with us uh, stop us from getting a chance to actually talk about this ourselves because this it is an important topic to talk about as white people as oregonians as republicans and here we are right so i'll start out and just say that this is absolutely a problem that needs to be addressed the idea of the way that black people are treated in america um there has been a steady progression i would say in a positive direction of racial issues in the United States. I mean, we went from slavery to Jim Crow to the civil rights movement to redlining. And most of those sort of systemic things have gone away, but there's still the idea of police brutality that that black people are treated differently than white people. It's much, much better than it was 200 years ago, but still has a long way to go. And it is pointing out (laughs) a lot of times Republicans start with that. They start with it's a lot better than it was. What are you guys complaining about? Which I think is somewhat it, missing the point. <laughs> right. And it's dismissive of the issues that are going on right now. Um, I had a friend, a colleague, um, fellow Republican who made a statement a while back of, hey, we, ab- we elected a black president. Like, what are you guys worried about? Like, that's, that's there we the go. thing. That's the We're thing. We're good to go. <laughs> right. Which, again, is totally missing the point because we still have black people in America who are you're more likely to be pulled over if you're a black person. You A resume with a black sounding name on it is more likely to be viewed unfavorably than the identical resume with a white sounding name on it. You have, you're more likely to be put in prison for drug, drug offenses, even though drug use among whites and blacks is roughly the same percentage. You're more likely to be convicted or, or have, a more, have a harsher sentence for the same crime if you're black. Um, these, the, the over-policing of minority neighborhoods, these are all systemic issues that did not go away when Barack Obama was elected. And these, I think, this is the other thing is other people kind of playing it down of, you know, oh, police kill white people at a 
similar rate or lower rate. It's, yeah. It ends up being a lower rate, but police kill white people too. It's like, well, all like that's only part of it. It's it's the the whole system is rigged against black people and has been for all of American history. Well, and especially uh, and. You're absolutely right on the data. And I think like this is the thing. Data are data. Numbers are numbers. You can't argue with any of that. I think the the thing that is lost on a lot of white people, or at least that they're not seemingly willing to address, or at least white Republicans, frankly, is that you and I as white people, sure, we, we may be we have a chance of, you know, committing a crime and being shot and killed by a police officer just like a black person does. But you and I don't have to go out every single day and feel like that's a possibility. You know, I, right. when we're getting a speeding ticket, we don't feel like there's a possibility I end up in handcuffs and I'm, I'm about to be suffocated. You and I don't go into the criminal justice system with the assumption that things are being stacked against us. And that is, that's conversation as a black American, you'd have to have every day with yourself, with your spouse, with your family. You'd have to, I can't even imagine what it's like to try to explain to a child, you know, Police are here to protect us and ensure that our our laws are upheld, but a little bit less so for you than for your white friends. And that's just, again, data are data, numbers are numbers, but there is just a a, a feeling among black America that the deck is stacked against them because it is. Yeah. And I think that it even goes a step further than black parents telling their kids, police are here to protect you. I I would say that... (laughs) And I, I don't know this for certain, but I would imagine they're told, watch out for police. Police are not here to protect you. They are, they're more likely, they're just as likely to kill you as they are to give you a ticket or they're, they're here to harass you. Stay away from police. Don't talk to police. Police are the enemy. And it creates this animosity, this division between the black community and police. And so and whenever there is an interaction between black, black people and police, I think there's also there's this underlying distrust and this underlying... Um, feeling of oh this is the enemy this is the person like my goal is to get out of this to get away from this because this person is up to no good and they are out to get me and yeah i i was thinking about this a lot and this animosity this mutual mistrust between police and and the black community you know who who really should take the first step to mending this and unequivocally it should be the police Gotta be the cops yeah. the police the police are took an oath to Serve and protect. To serve and protect. They are public servants. Their their entire job is to serve the citizens. The citizens never took an oath to serve and protect the police. The, the police took an oath to serve and protect the citizens. So, like, there's uh, the the world is not black and white. There is there are areas of gray, and there are there's animosity on both sides of this. But it needs to be the police who take the first step. It is, needs to be the police who are beyond reproach in this then that is going to start healing these wounds and create like closing this rift between the black community and police officers i i think that that's absolutely right and i think it's you've seen in a lot of different cities across the country because it's we're not just seeing protests here in portland they were in every major city in the country and in uh, in some cities police took a knee with protesters as a show of solidarity in some cities the chiefs of police came down to to address uh you know mano a mano for lack of a better term you speak with the protesters and say i want you to know that i'm listening to you i want you to know that i i'm comfortable discussing your demands uh, a lot of cities have said you know protest one of the demands is is to defund the police which is 
poorly named because I, I mean, that's a lousy idea. I, and this, <laughs> as a, as a side note, this happens all the time with people on both sides of the aisle. People find a thing that they think works poorly and they, you know, you want to fund it less. That if you have Trump, a thing that Trump, works poorly in the WHO. Hey, there you go. Yeah. For, exa- for example, <laughs> that's, yeah. Well, and, if if there's a thing that you think isn't working, you should want to fund it more. That's I mm-hmm. I worked on Capitol Hill and everybody said, "Oh, cut congressmen's salaries. They don't need to be making this money. Cut their staff budget or whatever." And it's if I'm a 22-year-old and I just graduated Harvard and I could go work for McKinsey or Wells Fargo Investment Banking or, you know, some, you know, Goldman Sachs, like really top-tier firms make 2 or 300k or go be a staff assistant in a congressman's office make 29k, which one am I going to choose? Like it's if you're a scientist and you're making four, five, six hundred thousand dollars this year, you will really want to run run for Congress and get dumped on, have ten percent approval rating to make one seventy a year. Like, right? You don't police don't need more money or less money; they need more money, and they need it to be directed towards social services, how to address the mental health crisis, how to address the drug crisis, and if that comes in the guise of not having a uniformed officer show up, but having somebody who's been well trained in the art of having to deal with somebody trying to commit suicide or whatever that's now that's where i'm with the defund the police people yeah i was gonna say that's that's essentially what defund the police means if you dig Mm -hmm. into it um is that the police are being used to do these things the mental health the suicide prevention the stuff that it's not law and order related and so take money away from the police fund these other things however but i i totally agree with you that more funding is necessary. And I was listening to Joe Rogan. Um, I went down to Grants Pass last weekend and see family and came back up and uh, listened to Joe Rogan on the way back. And one of the things he was talking about is you need probably 20% of your time to be training for police. You need enough funding, enough staffing that you can take police officers out of the field and get, send them to combatives training, send them to de-escalation training, send them to mental health training, because these are things that you don't deal with on a daily basis, but they are things that you need to be proficient at if you're going to do your policing properly. And this is another thing that um, I, I, has been a policy of the defund police is the thing on chokeholds. There's another Joe Rogan. He's He's got some weird issues, ideas. But Basically, <laughs> y- y'all can just turn our podcast off. Just go listen to Joe. It's fine. Um, so he does MMA, and in MMA, chokeholds are a big a big thing. You can do a chokehold properly where you do not injure the person. And so, again, this goes down goes to training, where you you are taking a a tool out of the toolbox of the police officer because they're un, they're using it improperly, not because it doesn't work, and not because it can't be used safely. They're doing it because people are dying because cops are not sufficiently trained i mean watch mma they don't ban chokeholds in the mma they you know you go to any jujitsu gym in the nation and these guys are putting each other in chokeholds all day long and nobody, and nobody dies. gets hurt nobody yeah. dies right nobody gets well, hurt yeah. i'm sure there is some hurt yeah exactly <laughs> yeah there's, there's probably there's a lot some, of pride that gets hurt there's too. some pain <laughs> but um i don't think that that is the solution is to take tools away from the police i think it's it's training get it's, better at those tools it's more funding yeah. it's it's training and like the other point from this whole thing is who's going to want to be a police officer after this? Like, and that's the other how- knock is you see people on the on the far left, the the Antifa types. I, I'm not. I I think also the interesting thing that's going on right now is there's Black Lives Matter style protests that have been 
by and large, you know, overwhelmingly peaceful and trying to make a point about the plight of what it's like to be black in America in 2020, despite the fact that, you know, slavery was 150 years ago, white people should have gotten over this. And then you've kind of have some of those co-opted by Antifa people that are now tearing down statues and breaking you know, glass walls of buildings because like, like the Verizon store in downtown Portland got attacked. I, yeah. Verizon doesn't have anything to do with Black Lives Matter. And so there's it's it's far too easy, I think, for people, especially on our side of the aisle, to kind of lump all those into one mm. thing. But I think that the point that the Black Lives Matter people are making, or at least it, what my interpretation of it is, this again is where it would have been great to have a person of color on the podcast to kind of be able to mm. talk us through some of these things, but is that they're they're asking the police to to go out on a limb and they're you know it seems like the police are willing to be there but then there's people like who are on the far left who are ve- who are, you know i've seen comments on facebook very disparaging it's like oh these are the guys in high school that just got beat up and now they just want authority or whatever and it's like well if this is what you see it as now and you want to make it worse who like you say who is going to yeah. be the person who goes and applies for that job knowing how terrible it is how much the rest of the citizenry hates them and everything like it's like you need Ray, good cops Ray made a great point on the last on the last podcast yeah it, it's who is going to volunteer to go be a police officer 14 dollars an hour it's the people who are bullies who want to go kick minorities in the head it, it's those are the people who are going to apply and if you're not paying them well enough those are the only people applying. Those are the people that are going to get the job because you need a police force, some semblance of a police force to maintain law and order. And that's I. you and I had a talk a couple months ago and you 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 are a business owner. You've started your own business and you said, I want to make a point to pay an above average wage to the person, the first mm-hmm. person that I hire, because I want to have a lot of people apply. I want to be able to select the best of the best. I want to make sure that the person right. that I got is not just the dregs of society came to work for me because he couldn't work anywhere else. I want to have a lot of people there. And you want the exact same with the police force. You want everybody in the country should want to be a cop. Everybody in the country should want to be a teacher. Everybody in the country should want to be a doctor. There's some of those professions or professions are far more well compensated than the others. And I mean, just the same as I was talking about the Goldman Sachs or the McKinsey person, you know, if you're... 22 years old, 4.0 grad from Harvard, you got the world at your fingertips, you could go work for any company. Where are you going to want to go? Some people are going to go and do the nonprofits, make the world better, whatever. Some people do a startup, whatever. But a lot, you know, most people are going to go for the big companies that are just going to offer the best salaries. That's mm-hmm. people want what they want. This is human nature. We're capitalists. Yep. So one of the other things that I thought was interesting from this whole Black Lives Matter is, as I've been paying attention, is several of the things that they're pushing for. Defund the police. Um, distrust of police or de- the the busting police unions. That's another big thing. Is that the p- police unions are are being vilified and all this um, distrust of the police and defunding inefficient government programs. Essentially, these are Republican talking points. <laughs> <laughs> so you take police unions and expand that to other public employee unions. This is something that Republicans, especially in Oregon, have been for fighting decades. for decades. Um, <laughs> Don't trust the police. Well, that's a Second Amendment argument. You know, if you can't trust the police to protect you, you need to protect yourself. Therefore, pro Second Amendment and defunding like programs that are not working or not doing their their intended purpose. It's (laughs) this is straight out of the Republican playbook. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody went and read Barry Goldwater, Conscience of a Conservative, or something like that, and they're just taking all. That's. I mean, that's exactly right. And this is what. You know, philosophically, we as conservatives, when we argue for 
a trust on oneself, a reliance on oneself, the ability for oneself to get out and make decisions, the trying to have as much limited government as possible. This is all the same exact kind of stuff that we're talking about. And while I think it's certainly being uh, co-opted and in a some semblance manipulated by you know the the Antifa people, the the Chaz people, everything like that. I think that there's you know there's a lot of bridges, there's a lot of inroads, and there's a lot of opportunities to be fr- frankly kind of crass about it for Republicans to get in there and say, "Yes, hey, you're absolutely is, yeah. right. Let's keep talking about this." Yeah, exactly. Another thing that I did recently is post on my my campaign page just a quote from the Declaration of Independence just to kind of see no context just to see what kind of what people were were going to comment and I didn't quite get the reaction I was hoping for but um we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal they are endowed with uh by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that's where most people stop but continue on that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men deriving their powers from the consent of the governed that wherever these form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to abo- to alter or abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation from such principles and organizing its powers in such form as they shall be how seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So I think that these protests are great. Because it's essentially, I mean, this is the Declaration of Independence. This is what our country was founded on of if your government isn't working for you, you have every right to tear down that government and institute a new one. And I don't think we're there yet, but I think this is a shot across the bow to the government saying, we, the people, are not happy. And if you don't fix yourself, we're going to tear you down. And you're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, we we got some work to do after that. Well, and there's I there's a line in the West Wing. Amy Gardner says the great thing about America is we get to overthrow our government every two years, and we do. And this is you and I. We just listeners. We just had a car ride before this. We we're kind of chit chatting, and this is one of the things we we're talking about. Is this these protests are the culmination of numerous myriad failures on national, state, and local levels. And any elected official right now who's trying to claim the moral high ground of, no, no, I was doing this right, I'm, I've been on the side of the people the whole time, is lying through his or her teeth. This is full-throated rejection of, we cannot trust the people that we believe the, the, you know they're the they are the people that are here to protect us and we can't trust them we can't put our faith in them this is a failure at every single level and like you say it's it's not enough to vote you need to get out and people are protesting people are saying this is i don't feel heard i don't feel seen i feel threatened i feel endangered and the, like you say it's wonderful because this is the type of things that people listen to mayors city councilors yeah. not the, not this president but <laughs> many other presidents Senators, congressmen, every this is people all up and down the line. This is the kind of thing that people realize and take notice of. And this is another thing I was thinking about is not to make this political, but hey, it's a political show, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, the Portland Police Bureau, PPB, has been the target of a lot of the protests here in, in the Portland area. And like, you know who runs the Portland Police? The city of Portland. You know who runs the city of Portland? The Democratic Party. Like for the, this decades. The, for decades, this is. And so 
You know, I, I've seen several posts from prominent Democrats trying to pin this on Trump and trying to make this a, a Trump thing. I'm like, no, this has been going on for decades. And the Democratic establishment in the state of, of Oregon, in the city of Portland, has not done anything to fix it. They have, I mean, we, we like to talk about how Oregon was, was founded on racist principles of redlining, of black people can't move here. Portland's one of the whitest cities in the in the country because black people were not allowed to move here for a long time. And, you know, party lines have shifted over time. But yeah, it's been 30 years that the Democratic Party has controlled Portland and this is still a problem. I would say it's even even eh, it's it's maybe it's gotten better. I don't I don't know, but well, and it's it, still it, a problem. It makes national news the fact that our police, our Portland police, are some of the most you know quick to use tear gas, quick mm-hmm. to use riot gear. There, I see tweets every day. You know, journalists are getting hurt. Yeah, police are just saying we don't care that you're a journalist. You know, it doesn't matter if you're here with the protesters. Or, you know, we're you know you're going to get knocked on your head or whatever, and. And this is one of those, like, I, I am a Republican. I like Ted Wheeler. I think he is as good a mayor as Portland is going to have for some time. And I think his, he is the type of mind that I want to see in elected office. He's, you know, that the analytical data driven numbers kind of mind, despite the fact that he's pretty decently far to the left. He is in his role as mayor. He is also the police commissioner. And I mm-hmm. think the police the the force is something that gets played politics with a decent amount and he and his and I, I i'm not a democrat i don't know inside baseball of oregon democrats but like everything i understand about ted wheeler he wants to be the governor he wants to be able to run and he wants to have you know several wins as mayor of portland on his belt to go and you know make that happen so he tries to play politics with it he tries to appease the far left he tries to appease his own sense of you know whatever level of budget hawkishness he's got and it just it clearly doesn't work and the you reap what you sow this yeah. the city of portland has nobody to blame but itself for how these protests are going and this is the other thing there is no electoral risk to any of the democrats in power they run the city and have run it run it <laughs> run and we that. <laughs> will continue running it and all these people protesting do you think they're going to vote Republican to get these Democrats out of out of power? No, they're not. They're going to continue voting Democrat. They'll find different Democrats, maybe. But like, this is the problem with a one party state, and it happens in the at the state level as well. Is you can institute as many bad policies as you want and do as and be just a ineffective leader, and there's no risk if you're representing the right district. You just you're the incumbent. You rerun again. There's no challenge from the other side. I mean, my district is it, the registration is very heavily Democrat. Um, there's likely to be a Democrat for Jennifer for Williamson a long time. would have had that seat for the rest for as of long her as she life wanted. if she wanted yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So if you want change, stop voting for the same people. But Oregon, you listening? You listening? <laughs> <laughs> we're kind of in this position where. The Democratic Party just controls everything and they're going to do whatever they want and have there's no there's very little accountability to the voters. So I but before we we start to wrap things up, I, you know, you were just you apologized for getting political a second ago. And I was like, well, we're going whole hog right now. (laughs) But I there was a really interesting 538 article about what it's like to be what what the Republican Party is today vis-a-vis individuals who are black in america 
and they I don't think went so far as to overtly call party loyalists or the party platform racist, but in no uncertain terms, it straight up has been over the past 30, 40, 50 years. Republicans, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier, we a little bit rest on our laurels with the, well, Abe Lincoln freed Mm -hmm. the slaves. Dwight Eisenhower was a Republican, and he sent the National Guard into Little Rock so that black kids could go to school. And we just sit on it's like, well, so that's enough of a reason, you know, now we just get to complain about black people only ever voting Democrat. And I can't believe we freed the slaves 150 years ago. Well, what have you done for me lately? Lately, the Republican Party has developed a Southern strategy, has very much gone after the white male evangelical vote, and has done absolutely nothing to reach out to minority communities, black communities, Hispanic communities, Asian communities, any LGBTQ communities. We are falling asleep at the wheel every which way from Sunday, and to the point that I think Donald Trump in the the status on the article, I think Donald Trump got eight percent of the black vote yeah. in the the 2016 election, and he he was bragging about it because Romney got six. However, Romney was running against the first black president ever. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, let's let's you know maybe let's go a little apples to apples here. President Trump. That's you know that'll be the first of many conversations if I ever get to meet the man that I can sit and have with him, but. I, uh, you know, I'd just be kind of curious for your thoughts because you, especially as a candidate, we've got a real or not racist or not on an individual level. We've got a party that's got a serious problem here. Well, I see it as an opportunity. I see that you, if I win 90% of Trump voters, I've gained zero votes because 90% of Trump voters were already going to vote for me because I got an R by my name. If I win over 5%, of the black vote or 5% of the LGBTQ community vote, I'm winning votes. I'm not just like, this is the opportunity the Republican party has is if we can dump some of these racist, sexist, homophobic things from our platform or from our, you know, the people who, who espout these, the family values of the party, if we can dump all that and reach out to these communities, we can, we can make inroads and it's it it doesn't take a lot you know it just takes a few percentage at a time you know if we if we the republican party could get 20 to 30% of the black vote we would win every single time instead of 8 you know so the opportunity we just need to be we need to be friendly to those people and i think what republicans do which is a mistake is yeah well let's rest on their laurels or the party of lincoln etc cetera, etc cetera. but also like excuse me we treat everybody equally it's you know if you're black white whatever color you are you're being treated equally whereas that is not good enough we need to take steps active steps to reach out to those communities and show them why the republican party is the party that has their best interests in mind and it's the democrats who are keeping them in the status quo that are preventing them through bad policies and government intervention, preventing them from climbing the social ladder and making a better life lives, making a better life for themselves. I, and you know, it's funny because the, you said it perfectly right now, Republicans, we, you know, all people are equal. We view everybody as equals and everybody, we want everybody to have the same opportunities, whatever. And 
there's again you go on twitter reddit facebook whatever and you see people saying i don't see color i don't see black or white i just see human and that you know that was the kind of prevailing logic 20 years ago and we've you know we've since discovered that that's wrong you don't you not just shouldn't you can't not see color you have to see color you have to acknowledge somebody is black somebody is hispanic somebody is asian and understand you know to the best of your abilities and if you've got limited abilities you need to go work on that on your own that's not somebody else's job to go teach you but you need to understand what that person's life is like you need to do everything that you can to try to see the world through that person's glasses and I I mean, you're absolutely right. It's such an opportunity if we as conservatives got rid of the family values types of sections, which, you know, I have no idea Good what luck. those people's families are like, but it's, <laughs> no, it's nothing like my family at all. But if we say, hey, the things that you're asking for, black Americans, you want better education. You want to not be incarcerated over frivolous crimes. You want to not fear the police. Those are the things that all Americans should want. Those are the things that we should be working towards. And if we don't have a way to communicate that to communities of color, we are never going to get ourselves out of the rut that, you know, going back to the Nixon administration that we've dug ourselves in with the Southern strategy, family values, white evangelical Christian route. Yeah. I was talking with a friend of mine, a friend of ours uh, last night, who I'm not going to say his name because uh, I, have, I didn't ask his permission, but he's been on the podcast before. I'll tell you, Nick, after the podcast, but he's seriously considering changing his, his registration from Republican to independent because he is so frustrated with the direction the Republican Party is going, the hatred, the toxicity, the, the, the Trumpiness of the party. And I was trying to convince him to stay. I mean, not not so much because, like, I mean, he's my friend and I want him to be part of this group, part of this movement we're trying to do. But we need people like him. We need people like you and me to be involved in the party, to become PCPs, to go be delegates to the ORP, to tr vote to make these changes. There's only 200 to 250 people who go to the Republican Party platform conventions. You get 50 plus one, 50 percent plus one of those. And you can change whatever you want. And that then is the party platform. That is what the party stands for. And so what the, the problem is all the good people end up getting frustrated with the party and they leave. And then they go non-affiliated, they go independent, and then the party just goes further toward the extreme because there's nobody in the center to pull it away from the extreme. So if you're listening to this, listeners, and you are at all interested in becoming a PCP and trying to pull the Republican Party away from the edge, call us. For the love of God, <laughs> please do this. That's I. It's another, I, I know it from the West Wing. I'm sure it's been said by some, you know, Carl Rove or who is the guy that died of cancer that George H. Lee, Lee Atwater, Lee Atwater, Lee Atwater, somebody like that. But decisions are made by those who show up. Yes. And at the end of the day, everybody's got an opinion on everything. Everybody watches Fox and MSNBC and reads Twitter and Facebook and all left, right, whatever your particular brand of politics is. But at the end of the day, if you're not willing to get up out of your chair and go to a county party meeting, go to the state party meeting, run for office and get your name on a ballot, whatever it is, if you're not willing to do that, 
you can't realistically expect to have a a marked change in a direction that you like. And on the flip side, if you do do those things, the amount of change, the amount of work that can get done by yeah. just taking that very small first step is insurmountable. It is a titanic amount of good that can be done by just a very small amount of people showing up to something. Yep, absolutely. And that is a great place to end this podcast. Nick, thank you for coming on the show. James, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. <laughs> and listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. Lauren Christensen is our producer. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts.